All right, uh, 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel 22. We're at the end of this, in a sense, grand story about looking for a leader. And uh, it, in a typical Hebrew way of ending this story, this is like five stories at one time, right? And wrapping this up, you have chapter 21 and 24 talking about God's judgment. Got, got stories about David's mighty men and the victories God gave them in between. And then in the, in the middle of this ending of the book is 2 Samuel 22 and the beginning of chapter 23, which are two poems by David. The first one is basically Psalm 18. And the second one is uh, just the, what's called the last words of David. It's kind of this oracle, this, this prophecy about what God is going to do. And so at the end here of this story, you kind of left like, okay, but like, how does the story end? You know, ever, ever felt that way? Like, how does the story end? Um, there's a, a lot of postmodern movies that kind of end without the ending, right? Where it's kind of like, okay, what actually, how does it end? You know, you're left hanging. Um, or it's the classic in, when I was in school, they told about the story of the lady and the tiger, right? And uh, there's this, this, this man she loves, the, the lady loves, and she's, he's about to go through, he has to choose, and he's got to pick a door to go through. One door, he's going to die. The other door, he's going to live, but he'd end up with an, an, a, a beautiful woman as his wife, not her. And, and the question is, which, which door does the lady choose for him to go through? Like, she's going to indicate which one he should go through. Does, he, does she want him to live but without her? Or does she want him not, you know, to, to die just because she can't? So it, and, and the tension of the story is like, what do you, how do you want the story to end? And in postmodern stories, they're doing it. They, they do that because they, they want to have you ask the question of yourself, like, why do you want this? You want the story to end a certain way. Why do you want it to end that way? It, usually the way you react to the story tells something more about you than it does about the story is the point of ending it that way. Uh, the Bible ends this, you know, 2 Samuel, the where it does not so much because it's trying to say, what's, what do you want? But it's, it's, it's saying we're still in the middle of the story. We're still in this, in, the story is not done. To say, oh, okay, you know, and David died, and, and uh, Israel, uh, Israel had finally had its king, right? End of story. <laughs> no, the point is, is that we end 2 Samuel where it does because the king that we're really looking for isn't here yet. And God's kingdom is still, still, in a sense, developing. It's not there yet. So when we, we're ending it in the middle of the story, we're just stopping it and saying, okay, we're going to stop it here because we have a king who's imperfect, but God used in, in great ways. And we're just going to kind of end it here in the middle of the story. How do we know that? Well, First Kings starts, and it's like, and David was old, you know what I mean? And we have to think about a new king. And, and there's this tension in the story. Why is that important? Well, 
from our perspective, we know who the king is going to be. We, we have more of the story, right? We realize that Jesus is, going to, is, is the king that's, that's, that's David's son that's coming. But we also have this same tension in our lives. Like, we're in the middle of our stories. And sometimes we just want our stories to be nice and encapsulated and have this reassurance that, oh, and, you know, they lived happily ever after, right? We want that, at some point, we want to have that line in our story. And we want to be like, oh, it comes, it comes after I pick my college and they lived happily ever after. Or after I get my first job and they live happily ever after. Or after I, I get, get married uh, after, and they live happily ever after. Or after I have my, first, my kids and, and then we're always looking for that end to our story, right? We, we, we want that end to happen because... We believe in happy endings. Like, like, no one wants to be the story of a tragedy. And nothing went right after that. You know what I mean? But in the middle of your story, you're living in the tension of it doesn't always feel like it's going to end well. And we definitely live in a time in 2021 where it often feels like this could actually end bad. You know what I mean? This could not go well. How, how do I know? Where's my hope? Where does it lie? And in the middle of this, the narrator has put David's psalm of God giving him victory over his enemies. And he's also... Uh, put this oracle about a coming king that's coming into the middle here to kind of say, look, in the middle of your story, look back and see what God has done. And at the same time, look to God's word, to what God says about what will come. And when we're in the middle of our stories, we still need to do that. Instead of clinging to this hope of, okay, I finally reached the point where, and they live happily ever after, we, we need to keep looking to God rather than how we think our story is going to go. Because God is an author who puts a lot of twists in the plot, and yet we have this hope. That God, as we're going to see from this centerpiece, God is a rock. He's the rock we can depend on. He's the hope we can look to. And so I want to look this morning at 2 Samuel 22. And the big idea that I'd like to get across here, once I turn my clicker on here, uh, is, is that God's king and God's plan will prevail. So we need to worship him. In the midst of our story, in the midst of what's going on, here's the thing we can know. God's king and God's plan will prevail, so we need to focus on worship and not fear. We need to focus on worship and not, and not look at all the problems around us and wonder how it's all going to turn out. And so let's look at that by looking at 2 Samuel 22 together. And I'm just going to kind of give you, here's the big outline, so to speak, of, of the psalm. And again, it's kind of a Hebrew, Hebrew thought, Hebrew structure tends to put the, 
the first and the last things together. So you have verse 1 through 6 and verses 47 through 51 kind of praising God because he is a rock who delivers. We're going to focus in on the fact that this God we have is a rock. And then uh, in verses 7 through 20, as well as verses 32 to 46, you're going to see God as that rock powerfully respond. He's going to give power. He's, he, he owns power. And then in the middle, you see that God is a rock because he doesn't change who he is in his, in his living response to our situations. He is who he is, and he always is who he is. He doesn't change. And so let's look at that idea together and notice, first of all, we need to worship the living God who delivers. Follow along as I read 2 Samuel 22, verse 1. It says, And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horns of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the ways of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked. Because he was angry, smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals f- flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him like his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Notice, skip to verse 32. For who is a God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer, and he set, my, set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You, you have given me the shield of your salvation, and your gentleness makes me great. You, you gave me a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not, they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made me, those who rise up against me, sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. Those who hated me, I, and, the, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You deliver me from the strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came clinging to me. Cringing, 
to me as though they heard of me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose up against me. You delivered me from the, hand, the men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing your praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. So here we have David praising God and worshiping the God who delivers. And he, he presents this kind of this tension, right? Because in verse 5 he says, For the ways of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol, that is the grave, entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. You get the, this overwhelming picture from that verse that he was afraid for his life. And not just once, but multiple times that he, that he, his life was, 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 was just a step from the grave. And we've seen in the stories up to this point in, in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel how that happened over and over in David's life. And yet in the midst of that, he's praising God because he's like, God, you are the rock. You are my redeemer. You're the one I could always go to and cling to and, and find protection and hope in. You are the one that, that protected me. You are the one that provided for me. In multiple times over and over, even though I was afraid of death, you gave me life. And he pictures God's response here in, in various ways. And he uses kind of the language of creation to, to, help you, to help you kind of picture this and see this, right? God, God gives us just, you see his power, right? He says, the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled. So he, he, it's interesting here because he, he, the earth we get, we understand the planet we're living on, you get that sense of earthquake. But then he takes it into the heavens and he says the heavens rocked as well. And you get this picture, again, of, of different powers that are in creation that, that David can understand and can see. He understands the power of the earth. He understands the power of the heaven. And he says, God, you're in control of those. You can rock both of those. They're not, under, they're not over you. You are in, over them. You can, you can rock things. You can quite shake things up. Even, even the farthest reaches of the galaxies you can change and mold when you decide to do so. Not only that, but he talks about fire, right? David understood fire, and basically God, he's saying, God, you control fire. He, he says, you control light and darkness. You control even, even the wind. All these different ways of power that David can conceive, he's saying, God, you control them. You use them. They're at your beck and call. So it'd be like us saying, right, since we have a, maybe a better understanding both of nature as well as just to say, God, God, you can, you can shake the tiniest atom and you can rock the greatest galaxy. When I call out to you, you have the power that can just, you, that can just shake creation. You can split light from darkness. You can take light and mold it. You can, even in the darkest night, you, 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 you can control even that. You are a God who's powerful, 
All the powers that I see around me in my life, light and darkness, wind, storms, fire, all, all the things that are powerful around me are nothing compared to you. They're just tools in your hand. And when we say God is a rock, that's what we're talking about. I don't care what fears you have, what enemies you have. They're not as powerful as God. He is the one who controls all of time. He is the one who controls all the power. He is the one who controls all of life. Nothing is outside of his control. And that makes him a rock that we can cling to, that we can hope in. We are looking around us in our world today, and you read news headlines all over the place, right? Our world is being rocked. But God is still a rock. He's still the one we can cling to. He's still the one we can hope in. And David here is, is using his, the language that he knows to say, look, God, you are an awesome and a great God. Not only, he talks about, in the first section, he talks about the God who delivers, the power that God has. But in the second section, he's like, God, you're giving power to me. You're, you're, you, you, you gave me power to, to, to overcome my enemies. And again, this is David, the anointed king of God talking. I don't think we should take that and say, God, okay, this is for me too. I can kill all my enemies. No, that's, this, is, this is the king talking, not David the man talking, okay? And he's saying, God, you put me in a position of authority, and you, and you help me overcome my enemies because it's part of your plan. It's part of what you, how you're going to deliver Israel from their enemies, how you're going to save your people. And and we can take that hope and realize that th this God takes and gives his power to his king in order to defeat the enemies that we have. The greatest enemies that we have are sin and death, hatred, division, shame and guilt, and God gives his son Jesus power over them all to defeat all of them. That's what it says here. We go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is the true anointed one, the true king who's going to rule and reign forever. And in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is his kingdom. And he's, he gave this one, this king, power over not just his enemies, but over sin and death to destroy them. And his David's response here is to worship. It's to worship. It's to, it's to create a song to sing. Why? You say, but David, your, your story's not done yet. I mean, yeah, you're kind of getting near the end of your life, obviously, and you've got, but, but no, David's still not done yet. How does he know? What he knows is he's got a rock. He's got a rock he can worship. 
And all his problems aren't solved and all the difficulties that he's going to face in his life aren't solved. But here's what he knows. He has a rock. And the question is, is David's rock your rock? Is David's God your God? Is he the one you can cling to? Is he the hope that you have? And do you worship do you say, this is a God I want to sing about? This is a God I want to talk about? This is a God who, who I love to worship, to praise? I'm going to have, we're going to just do this kind of, it's not totally spontaneous because I can't pull this off spontaneously, just not, you don't want to see that happen totally. So Daniel Park and my wife are going to come up here and we're going to sing together, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, greatest treasure of my longing soul. My God, like you, there is no other. True delight is found in you alone. We get a chance to worship. And yes, we've been singing songs, but have you been worshiping? Do you understand the God who is your rock? And as we sing this together, maybe just again, lift up your hearts in praise to the God who is our rock. Go ahead, Daniel. laid on your shoulders in my 
my place, you suffered, bled, and died. You rose, the grave and death are conquered. You broke my bonds of sin and shame. You rose, the grave and death are conquered. You broke my bonds of sin. Isn't it great to sing songs to praise the God who is our rock? And just because the point of application here, in a sense, is do, do you sing during your week? It's just, it shouldn't be something you just do on Sundays. Okay? Do you have songs in your heart? Do you sing of your rock and your redeemer? Because in, in the midst of your stories, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? Like, you, those are parts of your story, and you're in the midst of those days, but you have a rock you can depend on. He is the God. He's the living God who delivers. So sing. Be joyful. Rejoice. He's all-powerful. He is your rock. Now we get to an interesting part of the psalm here as we look at point number two, which is worship the living God who exalts the humbly righteous. And, and we get into, since we know the story, we're immediately confronted with this question because in verse 21, David says, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. And you're like, uh, David, <laughs> how can you say that? David, we, we know the story. The narrator definitely wants us to know the story. You've messed up. You've failed. How can you say this? And one option, if this was just in the Psalms, right? like Psalm, this is Psalm 18 for the most part, if this was just set in the Psalms, you could say, well, this is David talking about Jesus. This is, in a sense, prophetic more than David talking about himself. He's talking about Jesus and how Jesus gained the victory and was given the power because he was righteous when no one else was. And that's a legitimate way of maybe approaching Psalm 18, but not 2 Samuel 22. Because 2 Samuel 22, the narrator tells us this is David talking about himself. So, how do we deal with this? Notice what it says. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the clean, my cleanness in his sight. With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely, purely, and with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. 
You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. Okay, again, David, how can you say this about yourself? We, we know the story. We know you failed. And here you get a couple of thoughts that come into play here. First of all, notice verse 26. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torture. She's like, say, God responds to the people who are pure. God responds to people who are blameless. But then you get the idea here. With the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. And the crooked here is the idea of, it's the, oh, the, the old King James. I grew up reading King James. And the, the word in the old King James was froward, which doesn't tell you anything either, okay? Froward, like what does it mean to be froward? The, the, the crooked gets it better, but again, you're kind of like, like, what does crooked even mean? You know, we're talking about a crook. Cro- crooked has the idea of, and froward has the idea of, you make a promise, but you're, you're willing to break the promise as soon as it's not convenient for you. So you have the idea of you're crooked in the sense that, okay, I'm headed a direction, but as soon as it's not, and it's, oh, this is, oh, this, I'm going to go a different direction. Why? Because it's convenient. Oh, no, that doesn't seem convenient. I'm going to go this direction. And so you get this idea of their path through life is like this, going from advantage to advantage, convenience to convenience, and never just setting your, their thoughts, this is what's good for me. This is what's satisfying for me. This is what I'm going to go after, even though it might be a little difficult here and there, or it's inconvenient to me personally, temporarily. And, and so the idea is, and then he adds with the crooked, so people who just operate like this, you make yourself seem tortuous. What is it? You're torturing them? In a sense, that's another translation for the, the word. Again, these Hebrew words are hard, sometimes hard to grasp or translate. Is you make yourself seem stupid. It actually could be translated, make yourself seem stupid. Or, or that you, you make yourself seem uh, like, like you can't trust them. <laughs> uh, so you get the idea that, okay, with the crooked, those who, in a sense, those who are trying to manipulate God, God, I'm going to follow you until it's convenient, but then God, I'm going over here, but God, if you would just straighten it out, I'd go back towards you, you know what I mean? They're going back and forth, and to that person, God seems to go back and forth. He's never straightforward, but the problem is not God, it's them, and you get the idea here that in a sense, what he's saying is God doesn't change. He is who he is, but he's not going to be manipulated. It's not a formula. It's not like you can plug in your money and say, God, give me eternal life, or God, God, here's my money. Take care of me. Or God, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and therefore you're going to do A, B, and C because you promised, so you better do it. God is not a formulaic God. He's a living God. He responds to a, a loving relationship. And then you add in verse 33, all right? Notice again verse 33, uh, we'll include verse 32. For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. 
So here's an interesting thing. David is in a sense saying, David, God, I'm not blameless, but God made my way blameless. We say, well, how is that possible? And that's, frankly, the tension in the Old Testament is how can God take someone like David, who's messed up horribly, done some horrible things, and, and make them okay, make them good, make them acceptable? It reminds you of Isaiah 53, the prophecy about the anointed one, the Messiah, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Here, here's this idea that, that the anointed one can make people righteous. They're not righteous on their own, but they can be made righteous. And this is the, the, uh, the amazing mystery and amazing power of the gospel to take us from sinners, failures, mess-ups, and turn us into his people, his children, righteous, blameless, and pure before him. It reminds me of 1 John, if we confess our sins He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here's the mystery of how this works. The idea of confess is the idea of to say the same thing as God does about it. And here's the problem with our sins a lot of times is we don't say the same thing as God says about it. God says, it's it's horrible, it's evil, it's breaking my relationship with you, it's it's destructive, and we say, "Eh, I just think it's a little problem. I think I can overcome it on my own. I think I can make up for it on my own. I think I can, I can handle it on my own. I don't, I don't need a rock. <laughs> I don't need a redeemer. I think I can solve my mess-ups, my mistakes, my problems on my own. And David is saying, as he's looked at his life, he's like, God, you are my rock. You are my redeemer. You are the one who's made me righteous. And and you dealt with me according to that righteousness, not according to my righteousness, but according to the way, the way that you made me righteous. My trust and my faith that you are the rock. You are the redeemer. It reminds me of different psalms, right? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we're back again to worship in the midst of our stories, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of, God, I want you to deal with me well. We're back to worship. You're the only one who can take care of this. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from whose wounded side it flowed be of sin the double cure. Here's the mystery, right? Save from wrath, take away God's wrath from my sin, and make me pure. I'm delivered from God's anger, his wrath, the, the, the separation that I have from him, and I'm made pure. Again, not on myself, but because of the rock of ages. He is a rock, and he is a redeemer. And so in the midst of life, are you worshiping that? Do you find joy and, and satisfaction in that? 
Because like, that's, that's the tension, right? In the midst of life, we're like, yeah, he's a rock, but what's he doing about this? <laughs> or, God, you know, I messed up over here, and I've realized I can't fix it, but <laughs> what are you going to do about it, you know? And instead of worship, we're in fear, we're in doubt, we're in discouragement, we're in, in defeat. And David's like, no, God is a rock. And he deals with me when I come to him, even in my failure, he deals with me according to his mercy and his grace because he deals with me that way. Because he's the rock, even when I'm not. So David's looked back at what God has done. He's like, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be king. I don't deserve to be victorious with my enemies. But this is what God has done because he's my rock and my redeemer. But also you have this looking forward that takes place as well in 2 Samuel 23, where it says, Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the one of the man who was raised on high the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. So an oracle is, is a word from God, but it's also usually prophetic. It's talking about the future. And here's the last words of David, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. We need a little bit more of that, don't we? And I'm not talking about just rain, right? We need justice. We need justice in our world. There, there is precious little out there. We live amongst a crooked people, a froward people, <laughs> where everyone looks out for their own interests. But there is coming one who will rule in the fear of God. And David knows that because he has this promise from God, this covenant that God made with him, that one day his, one of his sons would rule and reign forever. It says, for who, notice verse 5, for does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and desire? He's like, this is the promise that I have, that there is coming one who's going to rule justly like the morning star. He ends by saying, but worthless men are like thorns that are thrown away. They can't hand, touches them, arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. He's, he's, he's saying, there's still enemies out there. They need to be dealt with. But there's coming one who will deal with them. And so, Point number three, we look forward to God's promises of David's son, the true king coming. In the midst of our stories, 
We can look back and say, look, this is what God has done. He's made me righteous by his son, Jesus Christ. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's done that for me by faith. But at the same time, there is someone still coming. And I don't know when he's going to come, but I'm looking forward to him returning, him making things right. Here's just a couple of, of verses that talk about this. Zechariah 8, 22, many people... And strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Again, Jesus is going to rule and reign in Jerusalem, and the nations are going to be like, hey, we want to come back. We want to, God, we've heard God is with you, and we want, to, we want that blessing. We want that favor. We want to learn how to worship God. Psalm 22, Psalm 22, 23, and 24 call this the royal psalms. They're about the king. Psalm 22, verse 27 says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. There is a king who's coming, and he's going to set things right. And David's here. He's like, he's like, he's like dew in the morning. He's like, he's like the dawn at the end of a long night. And if we look at our world, we see injustice and destruction, whether it's in Afghanistan right now or it's in in so many other places of the world, destruction happening, murder happening, hatred happening, all these things that are happening out of just not ruling out of the fear of the Lord. Someone needs to come in and solve our problems. But there is coming one who's going to set things right. And at the end of a long night, he's going to rule and he's going to reign. And what do we need to do? We need to look forward to that. Paul puts it best, 2 Timothy 4. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. As Christians, we don't ignore injustice. We don't just say, oh, it'll go away, because... We know it won't on its own. But we also know that we can't solve all the problems on our own. We can't set things right. We can't make things right. We can try in a couple of instances in different places, but we can't really set things right. And we are looking forward to the day when the king returns. When he rules and reigns. When he separates the chaff from the wheat. And the question is, 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 where are we in that process? Christ says to his church in Revelation chapter 3, he says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Do you want to be part of, of the solution? <laughs> do, you want to, do you want to help the king rule and reign and create justice and, and righteousness on the earth? Then you have to conquer. Well, what does it mean to conquer? Well, we have to go back to the beginning of the passage. It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would, you, would that you were either cold or hot. So because... You are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. 
For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched and pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He's saying, look, you're, you're lukewarm. You're kind of just, just like the fraud. You're just kind of going to what, you know, I'm going to do some good here. Oh, it's, it's hard to do good here. I'm going to go over here and just do what I please. Oh, no, this looks good. I'm going to try to do, help out in this situation. Wow, that's too tough. And we, we, we do this. We're lukewarm. We can't solve the problem. He's saying, don't you realize? You have to start by saying, I can't be the solution to the problem. I'm not able to solve it. I am not rich and prosperous and have need of nothing. I am poor and blind and naked. I need help. I need a king. And at the end of First and Second Samuel, that's where we end up. We thought we had a king, and we, we know we need a king, but the question is, do we know we need that king? Or are we trying to make up a king on our own, just like Israel did? Oh, I want to, we, we want to choose the guy who's the strongest, or the tallest, or the guy who can fight the best. And we don't choose God's king. And that's the tension still in the story at the end. It's that middle of the story question that comes at the end, which is, which king do you want, really? Do you want God's king? Or do you want some other king that you can make up? Some other king that you'd be like, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll take that as a king. I mean, Jesus is a little too risky. He's a little too hard. He's a little too demanding. He wants me to confess my sin and seek his righteousness and uh, that's too much for me. The problem is, is there's only one king, the king of kings and lord of lords. And this story only ends one way. It's just not ended yet. It ends with Jesus on the throne and every knee bowing, and every tongue confessing that Jesus is Lord. That's how the story ends. So is he king? Or are you being lukewarm? Are you kind of being like, ah, I'll serve God when it's convenient. I'll serve God when it's easy. I'll serve God when it gets me something. I'll love God when it's, <laughs> it's nice to love God and not when it's hard. Or you're like, God, I need you. This world needs you. I, I can't make up for my mistakes. I can't solve my failures. But I know that you can make me righteous. I know that you can bless me. I know that you are my rock. This is the, the whole point all the way through First and Second Samuel. God is a rock. He won't be mocked. He doesn't change. If you humble yourself, he exalts you. If you exalt yourself, he humbles you. And you have a choice. How are you going to respond to this rock? Are you going to run to him and be like, God, I need you? Or are you going to be like, God, I'm fine on my own? He's going to be like, I'm going to prove you're not. So where are you at with God? Are you lukewarm? Is God 
tempted to be like, <laughs> I hate that taste, you know? Don't we all, right? That lukewarm, kind of like, eh, it's okay, but I want something either really cold or really hot. God's saying, choose, just like Joshua did. Choose you this day whom you will serve. If God is God, serve him. But don't vacillate between two opinions. Don't hesitate. Don't be like, well, when it's convenient, I'll get around to it. And that's not just a problem for Israel, that's a problem for us, right? We struggle. We, we want what we want. Just to use myself as an illustration, right? Uh, so in my relationship with my wife, sometimes I tell myself, this is how I'm going to love my wife without ever asking her, is this a good way to love you? you know? I'm like, I know what's best. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And my wife's like, uh, I never really wanted you to do that. I'm like, but, but I love you, so I did that. So I deserve respect and admiration and praise because I did this for you. And she's like, uh, I thought it was a person, a real person, like, you know, a relationship we're in. You got like, like you, you got to know me to know what I love. It, that's what we do with God way too often. That's what I do with God way too often, right? We're like, God, I, I know what you want. <laughs> We don't go to God and just say, God, I don't know what you want. Tell me. God, I, don't, I, don't, I can't solve these things on my own. Tell me what to do. God, I trust you. You are my rock. And this is where we come back to it. God is a rock. He won't change. The question is, are you drawing near to him or not? Are you running to him? Are you knowing that he's your redeemer? He's your Savior. He's your Lord. Or are you like, mm, I'll, uh, I'll deal with God, but I, uh, I'm trying to do things on my own. I'm trying to do life on my own. There's only one rock you can cling to. Will you trust him? Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that you are our rock. We, we come before you acknowledging that too often we run away from the rock and we try to make ourselves the rock or make something else the rock rather than clinging to you. And Lord, David is, is pouring out his praise to you because he's like, look at God, what God my rock has done. Look at how he's blessed. Look at how he's provided. Look at how he's made me righteous. I, I don't deserve any of those things, but he's the rock. He's the one who I called out to and he delivered me. He's the rock and I want to praise him. Lord, help us to, to see that, to see you in action in our lives through Jesus Christ. But also help us to look forward and remember that our rock is coming to deliver us, to provide justice and hope. And let's cling to that rock. In your son's name we pray, amen.